Friday, we uh, finished last time talking about uh, uh, Martin Luther, kind of finished up uh, Martin Luther just a little bit, and uh, we came to, uh, as we were looking here at the uh, uh, Reformation movement, of course, Martin Luther was just one of many who participated in that Reformation movement. And uh, we closed last week on uh, talking about the uh, process as this Reformation movement really began to take hold and how that uh, Martin Luther kind of, uh, he didn't begin the Reformation movement, but he helped it along as much as anyone did. But ultimately, he was all talk and really not much action. He didn't want it to proceed like it was. He wanted to maintain and hold on to many of those Catholic uh, precepts and observances like the Mass, uh, the confessional, uh, uh, all those sorts of things, authority invested or vested in the Pope, giving him that power. And as we know, he usurped the authority of God. Uh, the Pope uh, calling himself the Vicar of Christ, meaning he was in the place of Christ here while on earth. He had all authority and everything that Christ had. In fact, uh, uh, the Catholic Church even today honors him as something more than just a man, that he has the ability to perform miracles and, and such, and that he receives revelation. And he, you know, and over the years, as we look at the progression and the evolution of the Catholic Church, it has changed a lot. It has changed a lot, their teachings and uh, their, uh, uh, the positions of which they take. I can recall several years ago we were up in uh, St. Louis and <clears throat> we were traveling around and we were looking at, uh, we went to the largest Catholic temple in St. Louis and uh, we kind of enjoy doing that from time to time, looking at the architecture. It's very beautiful and very ordinate and very uh, detailed. And uh, I was speaking with a young man that... Uh, was in there. He was a photographer, and they were getting ready to have a, uh, a wedding, and he was going to be the photographer. So I walked over and was speaking to him a little bit, and asking him some about the Catholic Church and what his feelings were. And uh, the 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 present Pope had just been uh, ordained, and so I began to ask him what he thought about the the present Pope as as uh, compared to the one who uh, resigned, as it were. And he said, well, I think it'll be a lot better for the, for the church. He said, he's more progressive. He's more progressive. Maybe that was a problem to begin with, wasn't it? People being progressive and moving beyond that which God had, uh, uh, had directed. At any rate, uh, because of this uh, uh, Reformation movement, the, uh, uh, there was another movement within it that arose called the Protestant movement, Protestantism. Uh, the origin of Protestantism kind of came about, uh, again, as a result of this Reformation movement. And when uh, the uh, meeting at the city of Spires, the, the Diet of Spires, the uh, council meeting, and, of course, again, that diet is, uh, was just an assembly of people who made choices and decisions regarding uh, spiritual things for the whole nation. And so in 1526, it, 
came to the attention as this Reformation movement continued to grow that this hatred and disillusionment for the, the Roman Catholic Church had not eased up any. And uh, uh, the papacy, or the Pope, was accused of uh, causing all kinds of problems and, and, and crimes against people. And in essence, they were. It was almost as if it was a terrorist organization. And uh, <clears throat> the people accused the, the Catholic Church, particularly the Pope, as uh, uh, being the prime mover that started what is known as the Peasants' War. Okay? The Peasants' War, and we'll talk a little more about it um, here in just a moment. The Peasants' War happened between 1524 and 1525. And uh, 100,000 of the 300,000 people who were involved in this were slaughtered by the Catholic Church. But at any rate... Uh, they blamed uh, the Pope for this peasants' war and uh, uh, this uh, exaction by the clergy of the landowner's property. They would go in and just simply take what they, what they wanted. Uh, we have a, have a law in our nation, public domain, where often the government can go and take a part of someone's property for the, for the better use, but that doesn't happen very often. Why? We're just simply not going to tolerate it, are we? We're not going to tolerate someone coming in and, and taking our property. And, uh, but that's what happened under the, the tyrannical rule of the Catholic Church. So they took what they wanted, and they laid down laws, and if you didn't abide by the law, they'd kill you. They'd, they'd uh, brand you a heretic, put a death warrant out on you, and, and it's almost like... A, the old warrants of the West, wanted dead or alive. You bring them in, you get a, get a reward, and we don't care how you get them here. And so this uh, uh, feeling toward the Catholic Church was getting worse and worse and worse. And so at the time of this diet that took place in Spires, the city of Spires in 1526, King Charles V was not there. Now remember, at this time... The king was uh, coronated, as it were, by the pope, and so he uh, he was in charge of the the uh, the things that that happened in the country, and he had a big say in what went on in the church. Well, he was off to war. He had a war brewing over in France, and so a person from Austria presided over the the diet. Now, this person was named Ferdinand, Ferdinand of Austria. And he demanded at this council meeting, as it were, that the edicts of the meeting that happened in Worms, and we, we remember that, almost all people uh, uh, remember this diet of worms that was, uh, had to do with Martin Luther when he uh, revolted against the Catholic Church. He demanded that those edicts be enforced. Now that meant if you were a heretic, they got rid of you. And so uh, he also uh, forbade all innovations in worship and doctrine. You couldn't change anything. And that was one of the things the Reformation movement addressed, right? Mass. You know, uh, not, not scriptural, not according to the Bible, the confessional. 
uh, the sale of indulgences, all of those things. So he said, you can't change any of that. And uh, uh, But this diet or this meeting of these people, they weren't interested. They didn't want to enforce the, the uh, edicts of the Diet of Worms because Martin Luther's followers were in the majority. And the Diet of Worms was specifically pointed toward Martin Luther for his, uh, what they called his acts of heresy, speaking out against the, the Roman church, uh, saying that uh, these things were being abused. Now, let's keep in mind, Martin Luther wasn't against the confessional. He wasn't against indulgences or necessarily mass, but he thought they were being abused. Okay? That's a problem. And then again, after he thought about it for a while, and he began to see all these things happening, he backed off of all of it. And so he didn't like the, the Reformation movement. So at any rate, it was impossible to enforce these edicts that were uh, uh, set forth in Worms, and that now in 1526 in the city of Spires, they were saying, well, we're going to have to enact them. Well, it was impossible. You had a vast majority of people who were in favor of them, so what's going to happen? You can't. You can't enact that, right? You just have to simply uh, uh, kind of have to give in and begin to compromise, and that's what they decided to do. So the committee of these princes, this diet, they said, well, the only thing we can do is compromise with Luther. We're going to have to compromise with him. And uh, uh, that was uh, exactly what they did. Now notice some of the things they did. It was decided. Now, let's keep that in mind. Who did the deciding here? This group of men, right? And we're going to make some comparisons here in just a moment. It was decided that marriage of the priests, giving the cup of the Lord's Supper to the laity. Now, remember, we go back the uh, during Mass... The laity, or just the common people, they received the bread. The priests got the wine. Okay? And so I guess depending on how many people had gathered for Mass, he, he wasn't maybe at himself the time he got through with, with presiding over the Mass, you know? So anyway, uh, uh, the use of German as well as Latin in the baptismal and communion services, all that would be recognized. Now remember, what was one of the main problems? They didn't want the Bible translated into the barbaric languages, right? Uh, they didn't want it tra uh, translated into German or into English. It needed to remain in Latin. And what was the issue with that? How many folks spoke, how many folks spoke Latin? Very few. That's what got Martin Luther moving, wasn't it? He spoke Latin. He found a copy of the Bible, remember, when he was at the university. And he began to read it. And he was just, uh, you know, excited of the, about the fact he had a Bible in his hand. I, we don't need to miss that. You know, I've got three Bibles right here of my own. We've got Bibles all in the pews. Everybody here's got a Bible. Not everybody had a Bible then. Martin Luther found it. A whole Bible, because remember, all they were given were certain uh, passages in the gospel accounts, certain of the Psalms, 
And they were just kind of recited over and over and over. And, and most people thought that was the whole of the gospel, what, what the church allowed them to have. And so uh, uh, also they came to talk about the number of ecclesiastical holy days that they should be reduced. Okay? They were keeping uh, uh, religious days that you don't find in the Bible. It doesn't talk about it. <laughs> How many religious days... Uh, does the New Testament require us to keep one? And we're here today, aren't we? We're here today because we're going to gather and worship here after class is over. And we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to hear a message from the, uh, from the Bible. We're going to give of our means. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper as it was meant to be observed. And so they decided we need to knock down the numbers of these holy days that are being... Uh, uh, Observed. Now, in exposition of the Holy Writ, the Bible, the rule ought to be Scripture should be interpreted by Scripture. Now remember, these men came up with that, but who came up with that originally? Well, God did, right? Who came up with the Holy Day observances? God did. Who came up with the idea that a man could marry a woman if, if both are available? God did. Who is to the Lord's Supper? Jesus is to the Lord's Supper by divine decree from heaven. And as we look in Matthew chapter 26 and other places where it is uh, <clears throat> spoken of, Jesus blessed or gave thanks for the contents of that cup and He gave it to all of them. He did the same thing with the bread, right? He did the bread and He did the cup. And so how do you go from taking the Lord's Supper as Jesus intended to you get the bread, I'll drink the wine, right? And they were using alcoholic wine, okay? They were using alcoholic wine. Uh, that's another uh, departure from uh, the, uh, the type, right? The type. When we look at the Passover, and Jesus is a type of that lamb, right? What, what did they have to do in the Passover? They had to get rid of all leaven out of the house, right? Couldn't have any leaven. You had to sweep out the whole house. What makes uh, any kind of juice or, or grain, what makes it alcoholic? Fermentation. What do you have to have if you're going to have fermentation? You have to have leaven, some kind of leaven, right? Yeast or, or, or whatever the case may be. And so that, that was against the type as well. So there were a myriad of things that they were doing that they all of a sudden decided, well, we're going to change some of these things because after all, we cannot enforce what we want to enforce because we've got too many people who agree with Luther. Now again, remember, Luther didn't want to enact these things. He just wanted to write about them. He wanted to get, as it were, it seems to me like this, this off his chest. He wasn't happy with the way things were going. So they also decided that uh, people and the state should live... <clears throat> as it hoped to answer before God the things that they did. So what that tells us is we have to live in such a way that we're not ashamed to stand before God. That cuts directly into the things the Catholic Church was requiring. Not that you were to live as you hoped to stand before God, but as the Catholic Church told you to live. And they'll take care of that problem, right? So... All of this gave new life to the Reformation. 
gave new life to the Reformation. They were hoping to tamp it down. But really, when they got together and they said, well, we're going to have to compromise. Now, that's a good illustration for us. Now, you know, this worked out good for the continual movement of the Reformation that would lead to the restoration. But what happens when you compromise? You end up getting off of what you, where you're supposed to be, right? And so in the mind of the Catholic Church, and they were wrong. I'm not saying they were right. But when they compromised, that knocked them off of where they thought they ought to be. And so when Christians begin to compromise, it's going to knock us off of where we ought to be. So we can't compromise. We cannot compromise. And so those who were pushing the Reformation movement were trying to get back to more of what God said, but they were just simply going about it the wrong way. They were trying to fix something that could not be repaired. At any rate, as we've mentioned before, I think we owe them a debt of gratitude because of the great movement that they started. So as the Reformation kind of was, was given new life and it led to almost the whole of North Germany adopting these Reformation principles. However, when this Diet of Spires met again in 1529, the Roman Catholic Party was now no longer in the minority. They were, in fact, in the majority. And the emperor declared the clause in the ordinance of 1526, three years earlier, on which the Lutherans relied, those compromises, when they found... uh, uh, when they founded their territorial churches, they said, we're getting rid of all that. So remember, three years ago, 1526, this compromise came about, made all these changes, so a multitude of churches were established in the north of Germany. Three years later, the Catholic Church is again in the majority, and all the foundation upon which these churches were established, trying to move toward more of what God said, they said, it's over. All those edicts, they're abolished. We're not going to go along with that anymore. We're not going to support it. However, what the protesters do, remember, we're talking about moving into the Protestantism. So they were protesting, and that's specifically where this term came from. They weren't protesting in general the Catholic Church. If the Catholic Church wants to do what it wants to do, that's their business. But don't come up here in North Germany and tell us what we've got to do. So we're protesting against what was said in 1529, and we're going to rely on what happened in 1526. That's where this idea of Protestantism came from. And so uh, they claimed that they were ready to obey the Diet, this assembly of men, and the emperor in all things, but any order that they considered repugnant, anything they considered in contrast to what God taught or what they could discover in the Bible uh, as far as to their soul's salvation or to their conscience, we're not going to do it. We're protesting and good for. Any comments, questions? Brother Joe. It was, it was the Catholic Church that went to war with these peasants. And we'll talk about it a little more in just a moment. But there was this uprising. 
And so the Catholic Church went in with its army. Now whose army? Where'd they get the army? From the king. The king and the pope were in cahoots. Okay? Remember what the pope said and we studied a while back. Uh, the pope was so full of himself and arrogant that he said the king was to the pope what the moon was to the sun. It revolved around, the king revolved around the pope. Okay, and so yes, they used the state army to go in and put down this revolt of 300,000 peasants. And 100,000 of them, a third of them, were murdered. That's that's the kind of organization we're dealing with here. Any other comments? Good comment, good question. We need to keep those things in mind. That's that's who we're dealing with here. That's the kind of people that... uh, we're running the Catholic Church, and I don't know that it's so much different today. You know, I don't think we're going to see a crusade or we're going to see uh, 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 the Catholic Church arming a bunch of people because they don't have that option. They don't have that option. But I think we have the same mindset that is uh, going on. So, in essence, again, the protesters were protesting against this Diet or this assembly of 1529. Yeah, the Catholics and the Protestants. Northern Ireland, uh, a Protestant uh, area. Okay. Now the only difference is that you don't have you don't really have you don't have two governments going to war. But you do have two theologies going to war, and they're extreme. They'll go to war, and they'll kill you because of your, your belief system, of your faith, right? The Protestants are killing the Catholics. Catholics are killing the Protestants. Which is worse? One's bad as the other. Right? We talk about Islam. Uh, Islam going throughout trying to kill Christians, and when they can't get a good war going somewhere else, they just kill each other, Right? The Sunnis and the uh, uh, Shias, you know, they'll go, they'll kill each other just as quick as they kill us. Someone who claims to be a Christian because that, they're denominated. Those are two separate sects. And they'll go after each other just as quickly as they'll go after anyone else. The only time they would ever unite, if they would even do it then, would be to their what they would view as their common enemy. But the, the, the Shia... Islam, uh, Islamic uh, adherents are not as radicalized as those of uh, Sharia law. So you have Indonesia. Uh, 85% of the population is Muslim, the third most populated nation in the world. Okay, uh, But they're not radicalized like those in the Middle East. They're not radicalized like Iran or, or Syria or those places. But they're, they're kind of, but, but there's still an element there of that radicalization. How many of you have heard of the, the, the state Bali in Indonesia? Well, we've all heard of Bali. Bali, it, it, its whole existence came about because the, uh, the Hindus of Indonesia had to go somewhere for safety. So they chose this island of Bali that it was hard, you couldn't get into it, it was easily easily defended to protect themselves against the Muslims of that nation. And uh, 
So, uh, you know, if, if you visit Bali, you can go visit uh, Hindu temples. You can see uh, uh, the different uh, things that uh, exist there that don't exist in other parts of, uh, of Indonesia. But they're not as radicalized. There are Christians in Indonesia. You can be a Christian in Indonesia. You can leave the Muslim faith if you want to. It's, it's not against the law, but you can't stand up and publicly speak against the Quran or Muhammad. That is still, to this day, against the law. And so, uh, when Brother Barry Hatcher comes from time to time and speaks to us about uh, his work over there, it, it's, it's amazing what they've been able to do, uh, you know, being tied that way. You know, when we, when we speak to uh, uh, study with people who are members of a denomination, a lot of the time we begin to point out inconsistencies in the denomination, don't we? This denomination or that denomination, they're missing it here, they're wrong here. You can't do that in Indonesia. You can't say, well, the Quran's wrong here or it's wrong there. You just simply teach the gospel, which is a lesson to us, isn't it? The gospel will take care of itself. If, it, if, if the, the seed falls in good soil and that soil wants to know the truth, it'll produce, okay? And so, but it, it still makes it more difficult. Still makes it more difficult. And, uh, you know, again, that's a lesson for us. Good comments. Anything else? Well, if it hadn't been for this meeting in 1529, there'd be no Protestant movement. There'd be no movement to even kind of change the Reformation, reform the Reformation. <laughs> uh, because what was happening is people are saying, well, we're not going far enough. We're not going far enough. And so now we have this Protestant uh, uh, religion or this movement. Now, the situation reached to such a level that in 1524, this peasants' war happened. Okay, The, uh, the people who felt like they were being mistreated, they were uh, having their lands taken from them. They didn't have much to begin with. Okay? And because they were standing up and they were wanting to worship the way they wanted to worship, and then you have the Catholic Church with the support of the state coming in, taking what they've got, throwing them in prison, maybe uh, killing them because they're, of their heresy, you had this, uh, this war take place. And again, you had 300,000 people, 100,000 of them were murdered, but they, they couldn't get together, really. They didn't have a good force as far as working together. and It was just kind of pockets here and there. And, and so it was pretty easy to go in with a trained military and, and take care of that problem. But that's exactly uh, what happened. So this war happened. Catholic Church was victorious. They went in, they stamped it down. But... Thirty years later, in 55, they had another diet. They had another meeting, another council. And this one took place in Augsburg, Augsburg in Germany. And when they met in Augsburg in 1555, they had uh, uh, peace was restored. Okay, And the Protestant states of Germany, this northern part of Germany, secured its independence to be able to worship the way they wanted to worship. But you've got years and years and years of war. And, you know, who wins in a situation like that? 
Who wins in a civil war? Nobody wins, right? So you're, 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 you're killing your countrymen. It's just like we had a civil war in this nation, right? Uh, obviously, just from the nature of it, more Americans killed in that war than any other war. All the other wars combined. And who won? Really, no one won, right? Death to everybody. Brother killing brother. Uh, you know, family against family. I mean, it's just hard to imagine how someone can get to that point, especially if it's a religious war, right? A religious war. But that's what happened. So uh, it was decreed that the Protestants uh, who embraced the confession of Augsburg would be exempt from the jurisdiction of the Pope of Rome. They got out from under the Pope. Now they no longer answer to him. And... They didn't have to worry about interference or the authority of his bishops. Because remember, that's kind of how the Pope operated. He's one man. He's sitting over in Rome. He has all these bishops who kind of is attack dogs. And they go out and under them are these people who they hire to do this or do that. Uh, got the priests in line. And so through that organization, and, and don't, don't underestimate the organization of the Catholic Church. Highly organized. And for the most part, they remain in lockstep with one another, with the Pope. I mean, look at some of the things of, of, of modern times that's happened to the Catholic Church. All this pedophilia and abuse uh, of these priests molesting these young boys. Do, have you seen a big migration out of the Catholic Church? No. Because they're very well organized. They can cover it up. They've got deep pockets, you know. Uh, the Vatican is a sovereign state. It's a sovereign state. We have an ambassador to the Vatican. It just happens to be inside Rome. What, what is a sixty-something uh, uh, square miles, completely in, in, in fenced with a wall? Yet the Pope doesn't want the United States to build a border wall on its border. This isn't a political class, but I'm just pointing out the inconsistencies, right? They, they walled themselves off from the rest of the world. They don't want another nation doing it. But that exemplifies the Catholic Church. Do what I tell you, not what I do. Any comments? Questions? Okay. Uh, what we see here is by this Augsburg diet, we see a great victory for religious liberty. Uh, the first blow that freed people from the shackles of Rome. Now we're seeing uh, a weakness, right? Where People are now seeing, well, we can get out from under this. We don't have to stay here. But that's normally what a tyrant does, isn't it? A tyrant will eventually push the people, push the people, and push the people till they can't be pushed any further. Who's the greatest uh, enemy of a tyrant, the people they oppress, right? Who does the tyrant fear most? The people they oppress, right? Let's look at North Korea. North Korea is scared to death that the people are going to get a little knowledge. That's why they've. That's why they call it the Hermit Kingdom, right? They've they've walled them off from the rest of the world, figuratively speaking. I mean, really, who wants to go to North Korea and spend a whole lot of time on their vacation? Right? Nobody. You don't see lines of people getting in there. And it is beyond me when I read about people going to North Korea on their own 
getting captured, even sometimes losing their lives, and that's a terrible thing. But what in the world were they thinking? To want to go somewhere where you know a tyrant's running the country, and you step one toe out of what they call the line, and you might very well lose your life. So no one's wanting to get in there. I remember one time uh, I was speaking with a missionary who was a missionary to Russia uh, right after the wall fell and we were able to go into Russia and uh, they had this uh, a fellow guiding them around and translating for them and he was uh, extolling the great virtues of the former uh, USSR and, and how what a good system that was and the, the fellow that was talking to him, it was the Christian missionary, he said, now how many people you got lined up to get in here? They built a wall, didn't they? They built a fence, keep people from leaving. Right? And so that's, that's the difference. So the Pope, being a tyrant, oppressing these people, they finally just got fed up with it. You know what? Let's go to war. Let's lose a third of our people. It's worth it. It's worth it, right? Kind of what happened to us during the Revolutionary War, right? We kind of got fed up with it. No one in their right mind wants to go to war, but sometimes it's worth it, uh, depending on what we're talking about, right? And so... I think the, the, the principles of the Revolutionary War were worth it. So uh, men knew they would give up their lives. The people who signed the Declaration of Independence, almost all of them died broke, had everything taken from them, but in their mind it was worth it, right, to get out from under this oppression. And that's what we're dealing with here. When we talk about the Catholic Church and this Protestant movement. The German Reformation was a great distance from Rome, but... It fell far short of a return to Jerusalem. So in essence, the best that we can say about this Reformation movement was they simply traded masters, didn't they? Voluntarily, but they still traded masters. No longer were they under the yoke of the Roman Empire, the the Catholic Church, but they were still under the yoke of Protestantism that would flourish and would become almost as bad as the Catholic Church. Any comments? Questions? Well, what we're seeing, it, it was a good while after this. It was a good while after this, really that we began to see what we, what we can identify are of familiar names. The Baptists, right? We're going to talk about the Baptists coming, coming into view in England. But it was a little while after this. But they did kind of uh, congregate into just a group of people who opposed the, you know, pro- protested against uh, the uh, uh, oppression of the Catholic Church. And so what you would have is you would have, uh, for instance, the northern, northern Germany. You would have, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big area. And not everybody meets under the same roof, right? So you'd have different groups of people, and they weren't all doing this things the same way. But they had one thing in common. They were protesting the Catholic Church. So that gave them a certain sense of fellowship with one another and unity, right? Well, let's think of the... Uh, uh, present-day denominations. Is there a sense of unity among the denominations, uh, quote, Christian denominations? Well, there's a sense of unity in that, well, you know, 
we're all getting to heaven, we're just going different routes, right? Unless they begin to talk about the Lord's church. When I was up in, uh, when I was up at Wheeler Hill, you know, they would, uh, I, I was out in the community a lot, and then I'd come across people and they'd say, well, they, you know, they say go anywhere you want to, just don't go up there on the hill. Just don't go up there on the hill. Don't go up to where that church of Christ is. You know, so there's a, a unifying fellowship in the sense that they're opposed to one organization, right? And, uh, hey, the denominations of today, a lot of them will say, hey, Catholic get to heaven the same as any other denomination. You know, they're opposed to the Lord's church. For the most part, they're opposed to Islam, but that's kind of changing a little bit, isn't it? You know, the Pope came out and he said some things about embracing, several years ago, about embracing uh, Islam. You know, he didn't want to say they were wrong. You know, he's been very political. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, for, again, for the most part, uh, people will unite together against a common hated enemy, and the church is hated. The church is hated. You know, uh, will they stand up against some of the some of the uh, non-mainstream entities out there? Yeah, you know, they'll probably stand up a little, little bit against the Mormon church, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They'll, they'll kind of stand up against the Jehovah's Witnesses or the uh, Scientologists or the Christian scientists, you know, but those are kind of fringe. But look, that's all changing a little bit, isn't it? Uh, a few years ago, we had a, a, a Mormon run for president. That kind of mainstreamed that religion just a little bit, right? People who at one time would have been so opposed to that, now they're saying, well, that's the lesser of two evils, right? Uh, when, when John F. Kennedy became president, boy, people were scared to death that he would, he would become president because they were afraid they would enforce that Catholic religion on the world. Well, you know, now Catholicism's mainstream, isn't it? Really? And so... Uh, uh, that's where that's where we are. That's where we are. Now, next time we're going to talk about uh, this Reformation throughout Europe. We're we're not going to spend a whole lot more time on uh, the uh, Reformation. We're we're pretty close to the end of what we're going to spend time on. Uh, then we're going to talk a little more in detail about Protestantism, and then we're going to move into the Restoration movement. But uh, we've got another class or two about the Reformation and Protestantism and some of the terrible things that happened in Europe under uh, uh, Catholic rule. And they were kind of in and out. You'd have a Catholic, you'd have Protestant, you, you know, and there was a lot of people died because of that. But we're going to pick up next time with uh, the Re- Reformation throughout Europe in general. We're going to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, we, there's some certain things we need to... Uh, to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about John Calvin, and he was a part of that Reformation movement in Europe, and he began to change things. He began to change things a lot, and so uh, we have him to to blame for a whole lot of error that was uh, propagated throughout the world. Any comments before we close? All right, thank you so much.